Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I have another fantastic interview for you this week. My special guest is MTS Patel. Let me introduce him to you. He, MTS spent a number of years as a management consultant with a focus on growth strategy, digital expansion, market entry strategy, and cost reduction. After 10 plus years as a consultant, he then joined uh, Dow Jones and Company, leading strategy and analytics in circulation marketing. During his tenure, the Wall Street Journal became the number one newspaper in the U.S. and delivered record revenue and profits with circulation growing while the rest of the industry was shrinking. MTS was then asked to join the B2B side of the business where he was responsible for right-sizing the business and developing a new go-to market approach that involved a fundamental redesign of sales processes, analytics, and how products were sold. And after leaving Dow Jones, he then led uh, strategy and business development at the Children's Place, where he delivered a number of new growth avenues. After spending the last few years launching and then selling his own business, MTS now runs his own consulting firm, which is called Accelerated Growth Solutions. And MTS, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on my program. Um, great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Sure, you got um, you got quite the background. I mean, I mean, uh, Dow Jones, Wall Street Journal, a major chain like Children's Place, and and now you're uh, now you're messing around with small business owners. <laughs> so you've covered the gambit, huh? Uh, I have. You know, what's interesting is this is kind of a full circle for me because I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was a serial entrepreneur, and I said. I am never doing what he's going to do, what he's doing, and here I am. Did you doing so, exactly that? Well, that's interesting. Cause that's usually my first question: is do, Are you the first generation entrepreneur, or did your parents or grandparents kind of mentor you? And was your dad happy that you uh, went into business for yourself, or or what? Uh, yeah, he he was, and I actually say that I was the first person in my family to actually go get a corporate job. Oh, wow. um, because I. I I'd seen the ups and downs growing up. Like we had times when business was really successful and times were good. And there were times when it wasn't so good. And I'm like, I think I want the certainty of income. Um, and the bug finally bit and I had to go do it. So your dad, as you described him as a serial entrepreneur, that could mean he kept trying something until it worked or he grew multiple successful businesses. Assuming your dad is not listening right now, which, which one would fairly, uh, would mold would he fit into? Um, he so he uh, started a bunch of businesses. He's fantastic at starting a business mm -hmm. and growing it. His challenge is maintaining it at that point. So there's a level of scale that he can't get past um, because he tends to, just like a lot of entrepreneurs, he tends to not put the systems or processes in place and wants to own all decision-making, which was his failing. So he can get up to a certain point and then the business struggles. 
so interesting. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, MTS, they'll start, of course, you know, chief cook and bottle washer in the beginning. Then you may add a, a, an assistant or maybe some staff, depending what your business is. And you keep wanting growth and more sales and more revenue. Next thing you know, you got a business that's cooking. You might have 30 or 40 employees. You find yourself having to be a leader and a manager. And that's really not what most entrepreneurs enjoy. They enjoy the creativity and, and the growing, but then suddenly find yourself kind of stuck being a manager. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. And I've I've seen that with so many, and I think I, that is one of the reasons I've kind of seen my dad. I've kind of focused my practice on a helping businesses identify how to grow, but then really dealing with the challenges of growth and putting the infrastructure in place to help them. I have a client right now I'm working with. It's, it's, uh, in the cybersecurity business, and uh, a lot of the role I'm playing is helping the management team think through what infrastructure is needed, but also playing a coach to the executives there on how do they make that transition. Very interesting. So, um, from you know Dow Jones, the Wall Street Journal, and then um, I remember that major chain um, called the Children's Place. They mostly dealt with uh, clothing. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Yeah, and then, um, so then you started uh, Accelerated Growth Solutions. Is that your current business or is that the one you, you, you grew and then sold off? No, that's my current. I started, um, I actually bought into a small business called IQ Workforce, which was in the, um, uh, in the recruiting business, uh, okay. focused on analytics and uh, data science. And uh, we actually ended up growing that. I was involved for about three years and, we ended up growing it to close to $3 million before I sold out. Wow. Good for you. So you didn't, you didn't take your share and go sit on the beach. You, you went right back and uh, got to work again, huh? Yeah. One of the reasons I actually left that business was I didn't want to uh, deal with the day-to-day -day grind of managing people and so on. I actually wanted to solve consulting problems, business problems. That's what I missed. So that's why I decided to do this and decided to set myself up as kind of I'm not going to have any employees in my business. Right. I'm just going to leverage um, contractors or the gig economy uh, on an as-needed basis but so I can focus on doing work as opposed to the minutia of managing. When, when you look over your career, um, you know, from all the different positions you've held to where you are now, is there one that stands out as being like, man, this is where I really performed well, or, or is it all kind of in a big ball of experience that makes you the consultant you are today? Um, I, I would say it's all, I've, I've had a lot of experiences where I did well, and I've had a few where I didn't do as well, but it all added to the experience. But I think I'm really proud of my tenure at the Wall Street Journal. Um, it was, a crazy time, you know, newspapers were declining when I joined. I joined at the end of 2005, and when I was leaving Deloitte at the time, I was summoned by two of the senior partners to the Atlanta office, and they're like, why would you go join a newspaper? They're all dying. <laughs> um, we see this great career for you here at Deloitte, and I'm like, I think it's an interesting strategic challenge. Um, and the journal, Wall Street Journal, has such a great brand. We can do something with it. And it really was super fun. We, um, 
I don't know, we uh, added hundreds of millions to the top line and a few hundred million to the bottom line while I was there by just thinking about things differently. Um, and we had great content. We could rely on a great product. Did that experience make you uh, a turnaround specialist or is that just part of what you did? It's part of what I did, but I think what it taught me, one of the things they learned at the journal very quickly with me was if there's a, if there's a trouble business and we haven't been able to fix it in the past, let's give it to MTS because he's not going to care about how we did things in the past and he'll come up with a different solution. Um, so that's how I approach it. That helped me learn and understand how to approach any business with wide open eyes and just open mind and think about, don't care about how it's been done. Let's use history as a guide, but think about what's changing. How can you disrupt yourself? And that's what I really enjoy, just thinking about ideas differently, thinking about new ways to do things. How do you turn around a business, especially in a declining market like the Wall Street Journal? As you said, papers are generally dying. And so what were some of the steps you took to turn that around? Um, so we, we decided um, with, uh, with the journal, what we were looking at is it all it, on the subscription side. It's all about how many subscribers could we have. And we had a goal that we had to maintain 1.7 million subscribers no matter what. And everything we did was geared towards managing that number because it supported our ad base. Um, so the first thing we actually did was somewhat counterintuitive, and this is the power of analytics and understanding customer lifetime value. We actually dropped the price of a newspaper on if you became a new subscriber. So when I joined, if you were a new subscriber, you paid $149 for the year, and um, that uh, uh, the next year, the rate went up a little, so the maximum price was $199 after your first renewal. We dropped it to $99, understanding that, think of it like a retail product. You know, everything is priced $0.99 cents or whatever. It's that threshold, the three figures that we didn't want to get over. What that did is actually raised our customer acquisition by 40%. So... And here's the interesting thing that people didn't take into account initially. It actually cost us $150 a year to print and deliver a newspaper. So you think, oh, you're losing money. But getting the 40% increase in acquisition allowed us to cut our marketing budget to help fund um, the loss on that side. And then we also said we were bringing in so many customers and we changed the price curve using analytics and say, you know what, the next year, if we go from $99 to 129 will retain x number of subscribers so that allowed us to think lifetime value and over the lifetime of a customer relationship we became more profitable and we tested everything we understood how someone would react to a different price change and we actually on the back end raised our price from 199 to 349 dollars so the longer you're a customer, you actually ended up paying more. We understood that you're less price sensitive at that point. So that allowed us to improve the profitability. So that was one thing, and that really drove revenue. Then we started thinking about what else could we – we had a database of customers. What else could we sell to you because you believe in the journal brand? So I started 
the wine club as another way to monetize our database of customers. Uh, so you, are, are you familiar with the Wall Street Journal wine? I, I am not, but I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, there's an old expression. A lot of people uh, get a get a uh, customer to make a sale, but smart business owners make a sale to get a customer because then you can sell more to them. That, and that's exactly right. I've, I've, you know, I've never heard that, but I think I may use that. Um, <laughs> it's really good. So, you know, the our thinking was that what does the journal represent? The journal is all about curation, right? There's a lot of news out there. We understand our customer base and we can filter the news, curate the news to give them what they want. The other area that, so, and a lot of our readers were interested in wine. Our wine column was very popular. And we said, why don't we try to bring the experiences in print to life for them? Wine is a great category because it's a very confusing category to a lot of people. So we could curate the wine and bring it to them and say, here, discover this wine. And we called our program the Discovery Program. And it was a subscription program, and that was just incremental revenue for us. And the plan over time was to add other things like that. That's so cool. So um, did I'm sure with the analytics, you were tracking if somebody joined as a subscriber, you know, and they stayed X number of months or years, did you increase the length of time they stayed as well? Uh, yes, through pricing, because we understood the sensitivity to pricing. So what I, so simple uh, example there is if I went from year one, they paid $99 and would have raised them immediately to $199. They were uh, more, about 65% of uh, the new subscribers would drop off at renewal. But if I raise the price only to 129, now I'm keeping 75% of them. So factor that in, plus we were changing the content of the paper to become more of a broader newspaper. When I started, we were just purely business and finance with a little politics and a little international news. We added a little bit of sports, kind of a different take on it. We added more international we added more kind of general purpose news and that really helped um, the stickiness of the um, subscriber as well. That's so cool. Now, um, did you, that's interesting that you're, you're willing, oh, that's the other thing a lot of business owners won't, they're not willing to go negative to acquire the customer. And like you said, at $99 and then, you know, it costs you 150, but yet if with incremental, it's um, increases. It's like, well, it's like the thorn in the lion's paw. It doesn't hurt that bad. And I like the paper, but um, you know, yeah. so many, so many people, whether it's Comcast or some of your phone companies or did direct TV, they, they, they jack your rates up tremendously and, and they people head for the hills. Yeah. Um, the thinking short term, I mean, what this allowed me to do, I mean, you got to look at this holistically, which is what we started doing, which, I don't think they've done in the past. We started looking at our entire customer base and the dirty little secret in the newspaper business is there's a lot of customers who get free newspapers and there's a way based on the uh, audit rules that you can actually count them as subscribers, but they're costing you money. It only allows you to maintain your um, subscriber base. And because we were bringing so many people in, I can cut my marketing budget 
and I could start getting rid of the people who were getting free copies. So net net, while it seemed on a cost per, on a revenue per subscriber basis or ARPU that we were earning less, if I looked at the totality of my uh, customer base, we were earning more. We were actually making more money. So you have to look at these things, not just uh, on a line item basis, but in a, in totality. Very cool. So how do you like being, you know, uh, I guess since you have no employees, you are the chief cook and bottle washer. You went from being a, you know, a high, highly successful consultant with a big conglomerate now to being uh, an entrepreneur. You, you make all the calls and all the decisions. Yeah, I can only blame myself if anything goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Um, yeah, you know, it's been really, really enjoyable. I, I've actually found a new lease of life, and this has been so much fun um, because I get to interact with my clients directly. I get to do work with them. I, I talk to uh, um, most of my clients multiple times every week, and, um, including the ones that I'm not doing a current engagement for, and uh, I get a lot of satisfaction uh, from doing the work. And you know what's different is like when I was a consultant, we we did a lot of analysis and we you know, justify the recommendation at the end of the day. But I've gotten to a point with my background and stage in career that I can actually go into a client and get to a solution very quickly. Uh, so they get value from the perspective of not having to pay the overhead of a large company, but I'm also getting to an answer very quickly. And then it's great to see them actually implementing it. Um, I was doing some work for an e-commerce company a couple of months ago, and I had an update call with them two weeks ago, and they said, yeah, we've already implemented two of your four recommendations, and here's what we're seeing. It's fantastic. So much fun. Hmm. I know this could be a long answer, and there's probably a bunch of reasons, but why, why do you think so many businesses fail? I mean, it's still 80% of new small businesses will fail in the first five years, and some succeed. What do you attribute that to? I think, you know, number one is um, I think there's a lack of differentiation or sought out differentiation. Um, that's number one. So let me explain what I mean by that. So you start a business, let's say that you start a recruiting business like we did. Um, what, why should anyone come to you? What's different about you? And if you can't figure out what's different about you, why they should hire you versus someone else, it becomes a price game. And if, you're in, if it's a price game, then your client's treating you not as a partner, but as a vendor. And it doesn't matter whether they're doing business with you or somebody else. Um, so that, that differentiation is critical. That's one. Number two, and I think it relates to that, is really thinking about the marketplace and saying, well, is there a need for another recruiting vendor or whatever? What is it? Uh, is the market oversaturated? Going in, a lot of entrepreneurs go into a business saying, you know what, I'm good at X. And I used to do that as a job. I'm going to just go off and start my own business doing the same thing. Now you're going into a highly competitive, saturated market without the capability 
necessarily to uh, drive sales and drive marketing. It becomes very hard. Uh, number three um, is really funding is huge. And we had that struggle throughout with our recruiting business. The more you grow, the more funding you will need because of working capital requirements. The, the larger you are, the working capital needs go up. Um, you've got more outstanding in invoices. You've probably got a staff now. You've got payables. You need to add technology and more marketing and so on. So your costs go up, your funding requirements go up, and getting access to capital is a big problem. So a lot of businesses go into this uh, underfunded. And then if you're really using this as an income source and you have uh, minimum income requirements, in my case, I actually had alimony I had to pay every month. Um, you now need to pull a lot of money out on an ongoing basis so that doesn't help the funding situation as well so that's kind of sorry go ahead no no you go ahead i was agreeing with you (laughs) (laughs) sure so that is kind of the early stages and then kind of going i find that a lot of businesses then fail going from the early stages where it's kind of humming along you're making a little income but when you try to get to the next level that's where it becomes even more difficult because now you've kind of added more infrastructure and cost to scale to the next level. And then um, that funding issue becomes even more of an issue at that point. And then there's another level you're going to, let's say you're at the point. So one of my clients, the 20 something million in revenue, and they've been superbly successful getting to that point but they've hit uh, a problem. They, the last couple of years, they're in a super hot market. They can't scale above that. And what's happening is they're start trying to put in processes and hire talent at a different level. And they're having trouble just moving above, going from that um, more entrepreneurial to a more kind of corporate environment. And I think what happens for some companies is they overinvest at that point and get away from what they did really well. And that causes a whole set of problems as well. And then if you're successful at that, other people are going to try doing exactly what you're doing and copying you and becoming, um, take the market down. Let me give you an example from my dad, actually. So back in the 70s, uh, we lived in England. And my father started a um, leather jacket manufacturing business in London. And he grew it really, really rapidly to being one of the largest producers in Europe. And as an Indian immigrant in England, a lot of the other Indian immigrants saw what he was doing and decided to get into the same business as well and created so much competition and drove the pricing down. Um, basically it made it more of a commodity and the market just tanked, oh uh, which ended up actually taking him out of business as well. Wow. That, well, you know, when you're, when you're doing really well, you try and fly under the radar, otherwise you're going to have a ton of copycat people and that's just going to slice up the pie. I've really enjoyed our conversation, 
uh, MTS. How can people learn more about you? What's a good website for them to connect with you? Yeah, uh, they could go to my uh, website, uh, www.acccrowthsolutions.com, and there's uh, contact information right on there. And um, I'd be happy to chat with anyone who just wants some advice or anything. Great. Hey, thanks so much for being my special guest. Really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, Jim. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with MTS Patel. And um, hey, if you and I are not yet connected on my free uh, Facebook group called Build Your Dream Business Now, you can fix that at dreambizgroup.com, dreambizgroup.com. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, I'm sharing all kinds of information, free training and words of wisdom, I guess, on occasion. And um, again, go to dreambizgroup.com. Until next week, another great interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.